Hello and a very warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for your company. I'm your host, John Martin, and I introduce your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Today, it's the fifth talk of Brian's series, which is called The Supremacy of Christ. Each week, Brian's been focusing on a new supreme quality of what makes Christ the Sovereign Lord and Saviour. Today's title is The Creator Christ. So let's go to Bride now to learn more. Thank you, John. And we want to notice that the concluding book of the New Testament begins in this way. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. One of the intriguing questions discussed by scholars is the phrase that's found there and which says, of Jesus Christ, as in the expression, the revelation of Jesus Christ. An interesting question is, is this possessive or is it descriptive? In other words, is it the revelation belonging to Christ and being conveyed by him, or is it a revelation about Christ? Or could it even be both? Professor Daniel Wallace suggests that this latter combined sense is in fact the most likely. For clearly, the messages of this inspired book come from our Lord, and yet it's also true that the content is supremely and ultimately about Christ. The title Revelation is from an original word meaning unveiling, and it's not so much the unveiling of the future that we find here, but rather the unveiling of the glory of Jesus Christ as he stands related to all that's going to come about in God's future purposes for this world and in the world to come. As early as verse 13 of the first chapter, the Apostle John describes for us the Christ he saw in his vision. I saw one like a son of man, he says, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. That very much sets the scene for what follows. It's centred on Christ, and in this series we're developing some of the thrilling truths about our Lord Jesus Christ, including those from now on which we encounter in the text of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The Apostle John tells us in verse 19 of that first chapter that the Lord told him to write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. It's probably worth being clear about that. There are three parts to that statement. First, the things John had seen. Second, the present state of things. And third, the things which were still to happen. First of all, the thing John had seen was the vision of Jesus. Then, in the second place, those things which were then a present reality refers to the state of the seven churches we're introduced to 
in the seven messages of chapters 2 and 3. And by the way, this clarifies that these were actual local churches existing at the close of the first century in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. Then, finally, the third part of that statement mentions the things to come, and they occupy, from the sixth chapter onwards, the overall shape of future events. There's not the time today to defend this futuristic interpretation of the book of Revelation, but I do want to strongly commend it to you as the only viable way of looking at the book if we are to avoid taking great liberties with the text. So, let's come to the last example of the seven messages given to John to communicate to the then seven local churches of God in Turkey. It's the letter to the Church of God in Laodicea, whose existence in history is confirmed by the mention it receives in Paul's Bible letter to Colossae. So, now let's hear this last letter, Revelation 3 verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If we had read through every one of those seven messages, by this stage we'd have come to recognise a certain structure which repeats itself every time. Each message begins with the Lord referring to himself in a brief way which each time recalls something of the vision John had of Christ in chapter 1. Then the Lord declares, I know, and proceeds to some notable feature of the church in question, usually positive. Then the Lord says, But I have this against you, and he proceeds to a negative review of the church. He then recommends a remedy, and promises a reward to those who respond victoriously. Here, in the message that was directed to Laodicea, Jesus identified himself as the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Several important expressions strike us. First, there's the Lord's affirmation of his integrity. He's faithful in character and true in his testimony. Second, Christ didn't subscribe to the theory that the universe is eternal, or as is found more commonly today, that it's the result of a self-caused accident, 
On the contrary, Jesus declares it to be a creation in time. Third, he affirmed his personal, active role in the creation process. When Jesus describes himself as the beginning of the creation of God, the term beginning comes from a word that's found 55 times in the New Testament and which is used in a variety of senses. In studying the Bible, we must be prepared to look at the entire range of possible meanings of an original word, but equally we must select the one meaning which is best suited to the way the word is being used in the text in question. In this context, it describes the cause or source by which something was begun. It's mischievous in the extreme that anyone should have misappropriated this text to suggest that Christ did not exist eternally but was created by God as the first of his creations. The same author, the Apostle John, wrote in the opening of his Gospel, John 1 and verse 3, All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. The most superficial comparison with any number of other totally lucid Bible texts such as Colossians 1 verse 15 and verse 18, or 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6, or Hebrews 1 verse 2, would show that this word, as applied to Christ, cannot mean that he was the first created thing, but rather that he himself is the first cause or originator of all created things. Even liberal scholars have flatly denied that there can be any other legitimate meaning here by saying that this signifies that Jesus was the moving cause of all creation. He was the one who began the process of creation and who initiated the work of creation. Therefore, when we read in Genesis chapter 1 those famous opening words of the Bible, they fully account for the fact that God was, in Christ, creating the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ is the beginning, and in the beginning God created this magnificent universe. With this first of our featured titles of Christ selected from the book of Revelation, the words of Colossians chapter 1 agree. Colossians 1 verse 15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Clearly, this final book of the New Testament is very much about Christ, as well as being conveyed by him. Study it with us and be rewarded by it.
Now don't forget there's a transcript booklet containing all 10 talks of this series and it's free, so if you'd like one or more, please ask for the title The Supremacy of Christ. Now I'm about to give you our contact details, so if you've got pen and paper to hand, here they are. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester LE5 6LN UK. I'll repeat that. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5 6LN UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. This will give you yet another excellent way of accessing, again, what you first heard here on air. Now, I'm so pleased you've been listening with us today. We really enjoy your company and I hope you enjoyed the programmes. So many thanks again. Next week is talk number six and it's called The Eternal Christ. We look forward to your company once again, but until then, very best wishes from Brian David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you.